Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Have I Got News For You, brought to you by Farmers, Guardian and CMEX and available via all your favourite podcast platforms. I'm Farmers, Guardian editor Ben Briggs and in this episode I head to Rosset near Chester to speak to former dairy farmer Andrew Jones about how he's gone from milking cows to running a bespoke glamping business called Rackery Retreat. Diagnosed with Parkinson's disease a few years ago, Andrew was struggling with milking cows and decided he needed to change the emphasis of the business. With the help of his family, Andrew, who is a man not to be weighed down by such a diagnosis, decided to kick in a different direction. So here is his frankly inspiring story. CMEX is committed to delivering genetics for life in a world that demands compassionate sustainability. With health at the forefront of our innovation genetic solutions, CMEX's pledge to positively impacting profit on the dairy farm is unwavering. As all shows and farm visits are cancelled this year due to COVID-19, it is more important than ever that our industry continues to communicate and share experiences. To find out more about CMEX, visit www.cmex.co.uk. Here I am with Andrew Jones at Rackery Retreat, not far from Chester. You used to run Rosset Holsteins, Andrew, and this farm has a very special place in my heart because 14 years ago, I came to interview your daughters who were involved in Holstein Young Breeders at the time. Well, as I'd come to interview them in the afternoon for Farmer's Guardian, that morning I'd actually been for an interview myself with a large daily paper in the northwest of England that would eventually lead me to leave FG for a four and a half year stint there and and also elsewhere editing another magazine. Uh, I can genuinely say that that day changed my life and set me on the road longer term to becoming editor of FG when I would return in 2010. So every time I head for the in-laws in uh, in Shropshire and pass the sign for Rosset, I do do think of you and your setup here. But while things have changed a lot for me between now and then, not to mention the accumulation of a few grey hairs, things have also changed dramatically for you as well. And I wondered if you could tell the listeners to the podcast how things have changed at the farm, but crucially, why? As you rightly said, we were pedigree Holstein breeding for a number of years and um, uh, enjoying that. And uh, my daughter's all the better for showing calves and competing in Holstein young members and um, developing life skills and um, although there's only one of them in the industry still they're all the better for for having been involved whilst the pedigree cow job has uh, the 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 value the increased value of the genetic side has kind of like disappeared over the years and it's become more about efficient milk production the contacts and the people that you meet within the cow industry you know are there for life and that's you can't put a price on that and so well, we don't have any cows anymore. I still benefit hugely from being invited to judge cow competitions and uh, and and travel around on the back of a the black and white registered cow, really. So yes, uh, yeah, we were when Ben came the last time. We were into showing cows and stuff like that. And then um, just shortly after you were here last, um, I got the offer to um, buy my council tenancy, which I did in two thousand and seven which um, increased our security going forward for my wife and I, Jenny. Whilst in, in this game you can expand in numerically or you can expand the equity in your business, and uh, I started off working for my parents as council tenants, took the tenancy in the late 90s, bought it in 2007. So um, I've kind of done it that way instead of going from 100 cows to 700 cows. Anyway, that was 
doing okay over the last few years um, the uh, the margins have obviously in dairy and diminished a little bit and um, I was struggling physically I had a new hip replacement and uh, still was limping and people medical people couldn't understand why and then um, two and a half years ago got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease which uh, kind of explained why I'd been struggling with the dairy cows for the previous year to two so it didn't take me very long to work out that things weren't going to get better so it was up to me to improve my quality of life myself so um, I took the bull by the horns and um, and decided to sell the, um, the dairy herd it's unfortunate that uh, these things come along but it's up to you to make the best of the of, of the cards that you're dealt you know a slight criticism is that sometimes some people can put the decision off too long and then um, I liken it to the uh, the child at the top of the hill on his little bike and you can ride your bike to the bottom of the hill and all the wheels have come off and you can't sell your bike or you can get off it near the top of the hill when and I decided to do that that um, you know I'd uh, I'd sell the cows before I probably uh, my management was already slipping a bit and at the same time as selling the cows which was in uh, July 2018 I'd been I'd spent 6 months investigating uh, a diversification business i.e. glamping, some kind of form of tourism. Everybody that visits a farm tells me we're in quite a nice location and we're at seven miles from Chester, which is a big tourist attraction. So I spent quite a few months investigating yurts and the possibility of putting a few yurts up because I'd previously looked into caravan clubbing and, uh, uh, you know, it didn't excite me very much, five caravans at eight to ten pound each, which no electric hookup in them days because I, I didn't want the caravans on the fringe of the farmsteading. I wanted them further away so that we could separate and run the two businesses That at that time when we were still farming, dairy farming. Investigation went on uh, on the, the uh, yurts, and um, obviously they don't have any bathroom facilities internally. And uh, my daughter, three daughters that uh, we mentioned have been in HYB, they're all... Uh, uh, I don't know, they seem to have uh, expensive tastes. I don't know where they get that. I think it comes on the dam side. Um, and so they kept telling me, Dad, you can't do a cheap, you can't do a farmer's job of the toilet block. So I could see the toilet block was going to cost as much as two yurts. And then you've still got the limited marketing ability of going across the field to use the toilet or to have a shower and dropping your blinking clothes on the way. And I've showed cows, I know what that's like. You go to have a shower before you go in the show ring and you can't find anywhere to hang your clothes anyway there we are so um a few glamping exhibitions later came across safari tents uh clear sky safari tents in um in the nec uh in the farm innovation um exhibition diversification and innovation first week of november it's uh quite as uh it's well worth a visit whether you're interested in diversification or not it's very much an eye-opener. Anyway, spotted the what we now have, which is the whole package, the tent with all the furniture and all the beds and the fittings in it, and um, um, decided to buy two initially. We put those up, as I said, um, early August, or July 18, when the cows went. So we started marketing those from then and uh, taking bookings from the first week of August. Uh, we had planning for three, so we put the third one up in March 19, and um, I've been absolutely blown away by the uh, success of the, 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 of the interest in people staying and the return on investment. Um, you know, I know agriculture is a long game and, um, it, you know, and uh, it's, 
takes a long time to get your money back on lots of investments but this um, it, it's amazing that um, I tell farmers that we have space but we never seem to have any cash everyone else in society has cash but they never seem to have any space so when you work out how to sell your space it doesn't matter what you do there's quite a lot of reward financial and then on top of that it's become quite obvious as a dairy farmer uh, before I packed in two years ago and, and it's got worse since is that um, the pressure from the consumer the retailer uh, not just financially but the um, the, 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 the ethics their perceived um, uh, opinion of how livestock in the UK are treated and then you've got the emissions argument on top of that so this this is a, uh, an industry that, that the glamping um, people book online, pay online, they pay the balance seven days before they arrive and then when they walk in they're absolutely gobsmacked and blown away and so grateful that you've let them come. It, it, it's so rewarding and heartening to see that there is something that you can do that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that's, yeah, it ticks all the boxes really. Um, but um, it wouldn't be as successful if it wasn't for a team of people um, and so my daughters get involved in the marketing. This is a social media driven industry and I'm fairly archaic really. I'm still writing letters in, uh, with, with, bloody, with, a, with a felt pen, uh, rather I should say an ink pen. Um, and so um, I'm not a big social media user, but I do, non I do understand roughly the benefits of it. Uh, and it's probably the most important thing now in our business. And so... My daughters, they don't work for me, but um, they, they, they do enjoy the involvement in the, and see the successes and, um, you know, building up um, followers on Instagram. And, um, you know, we do get quite a lot of agencies asking if they can, um, we rent their, they could rent our properties out um, for us and take a commission. My daughters won't let me do that. They have a different philosophy. They put social influencers in. Uh, bloggers call them what you like uh, give them two free nights and then they post on their page to their followers we get more new followers more bookings um, and um, we've done that from the very start actually and um, as we've developed more more followers we've got obviously a higher caliber of people that we can lure into promoting just three weeks ago we had someone in who was our most successful person yet it was a couple actually of the um, they've been involved in Love Island a TV programme that I know nothing about but they were a, a really nice nice couple and uh, they'd met on the programme he made a post three weeks ago and uh, and, and we went from 12,000 to 18,000 followers in the space of six hours on a Sunday evening followed by several bookings that following week um, and probably we would have had a lot we had a lot of inquiries for dates that we couldn't supply because we were already booked up so we don't know the true benefit of what they did for us actually but um, my biggest bit of advice I can give is that whilst there's lots of different things farmers can diversify when I referred to space you know you don't have to do glamping there's lots of other things you can do but you have to be able to deal with the public which is different to dealing with cows or sheep so you're talking, Andrew, about the, the change in dealing with cows to go in to deal with members uh, of the public, which is quite a big change. And 
a lot of the farming industry quite often is really afraid of change, aren't they? They're always they kind of always want to do what they've always done in a way. Uh, and do you think that's one of the big things that we we kind of have to change as as a, a not just as a dairy industry, but as an entire farming industry? For sure, you know, um, you, you you're dead right, Ben. That um, you know, I've always been interested in. I've never never had any kind of marketing or sales training but I do notice I would notice things in adverts perhaps you know I've always been interested in communication and I do think as an as an industry agriculture you know as a, a a lot of ground to make up a lot of the misperceptions that I hear in society from things that allegedly go on in agriculture one that still rings loud in my ears was when Nocton dairies got refused their planning and my wife was um, at a, a university with our youngest daughter looking to and anyway just c talking to other mothers and this lady uh, oh you're a dairy farmer's wife I've signed that petition at Nocton Dairies um, we live five miles away um, but um, my big concern is um, they're going to milk cows 24 hours a day that cow's going to stand there with the milker on poor cow for 24 hours well that's our fault as an industry for a using the wrong language, but but not not communicating. There's a huge interest when I greet the people that come to stay in our tents, and they ask me about, "Is this your farm?" Or I usually say, "Well, I share it with HSBC." But um, then we quickly get on to dairy farming, and uh, and, and you know, and and I, oh, you've got a huge acreage, Andrew, and I say, "But it it doesn't sustain a, a wage anymore. 150 acres is very very difficult." Um, as I started to struggle more with the uh, with the labour side, and I needed help, you know, there wasn't enough money in the in the business. So, um, yeah, but the, 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 there's a genuine huge hunger for information, and sympathy for for our industry, and I don't think we we miss an uh, you know we scored an own goal by not capitalising on that most most um, industries have to develop an interest in their story. We have the interest in the story. We just don't seem to be able to tell the story. And, and I don't know quite where that starts. You know, we'll, um, we probably don't have... Um, there's too many buses going in different directions instead of everybody being on the same bus. Well, I saw an interesting uh, thing, actually, on... Um, it was on Twitter <coughs> last night. Uh, Minette Batters, obviously president of the NFU, had retweeted a, a, an article by Max Hastings from... The, uh, the Times when and the headline was farmers need to be park keepers and obviously it's quite a sensationalist comment piece but when you delve down into it what he was saying was what you just said which was some farmers are going to be able to make money because they've got the land they've got the asset they've got economies of scale what, what we have to find a way forward as an industry is that some of those with smaller units or in areas where maybe tourism is now becoming the predominant commercial driver how do we retain a future for those farmers whilst allowing them to um, to kind of retain a sense of self and a self a sense of identity? And I think that's it's like you've shown here. This is an absolute departure from what you were doing before. But you you said before, like you can either look at it that you know um, kind of war with me. You you, you had a bad um, uh, a bad diagnosis with Parkinson's, or you can get on with it and you can you can go forward to something else. And I think that's. That's something you've kind of you you've said is key, really. I mean, we all know the downsides of running your own businesses. You know, you've got uh, lots of disciplines, paperwork-wise, and you know, 
finishing your VAT claim on a Sunday evening because it should have been in on the Friday and all those kinds of things. But the upside is that you should be able to make decisions about your business. We kid ourselves all the time that we work for ourselves so that we can do what we want. But we never seem to be able to do what we want. And I never know whether that's because we never organise enough or whether it's a mind block that you're worried that if you leave the farm, A, what the neighbour's going to think, or B, will there be a catastrophe when you come back? But um, I think um, that it, it's, it's, it's a unique industry because uh, you know it, it encompasses lots of diversity, not just economical things. It's you know, it's rural, social, and but to me, the biggest problem with the industry is the value of the asset. So just in the time I've owned a farm, uh, owned land, it's probably almost, well, it's certainly doubled in value, maybe nearly trebled. And when I talk to people outside the industry. I have to tell them that I don't. It's nothing to do with the profitability of agriculture. If an acre of land's ten thousand pound at three percent interest, that's three hundred pound per acre per year rent equivalent. I don't know anybody who can pay three hundred pound an acre rent. So that tells me that the the value of land isn't driven by agricultural benefit or finances. It's non-farming interest or inheritance tax. You know, people roll in, uh, and you know, there's there's a, a break in the uh, in the uh, or uh, the, the, you know that you don't have to pay, so that every far every generation the farm doesn't get broken up. But um, but maybe it might be slightly better if it did. I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but um, a it would reduce the value, so that every generation would start on the same footing. There isn't another industry where everybody starts on a different rung of the ladder. And if you're fortunate to stand three quarters way up the ladder, you can finish halfway up the ladder in your career and have succeeded in this industry, which kind of holds the whole process back, the evolutionary process of keeping up with the thinking of the consumer. Maybe the, the baton doesn't pass down, in my view, this is only my personal view, the baton doesn't pass down from generation to generation quick enough. You know, I see a huge amount of young 30-year-old guys doing fantastic jobs with dairy cows and, and you know, and doing great things. Um, but not every 30-year-old is maybe uh, given that opportunity due to fam complex family uh, situations. And it's not for me to judge any complex, any other family situation. You know, the, the person at the head of the family um, is generally the oldest person. And, um, you know, but dare I say, it's perhaps the least in touch with what the consumer actually wants. And as running this, you know, what is a tourism business, you know, we're sat on the veranda here next to the hot tub of one of these, um, you know, with a fantastic view, you know, with uh, uh, an absolutely um, uh, wonderful tourism proposition that you've got here. Um, but in the time you've been doing it, what have you learned from the, the people who come and stay here, what have you picked up from them and has that been an eye-opener for you? Well, generally, I'm still constantly blown away by the interest in, in, in agriculture and uh, and the, 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 the gratitude for the work that farmers do, the hours they put in, um, you know, and they're quite surprised when I tell them that I had a, a hobby for 58 years and now I've got a business. Because um, financially, that's, you know, it's, it's quite a marked difference. And I, I, I think there's, um, there's a great story in the broiler chicken. 
So I'll just say to these people, uh, just briefly, uh, you know, in a nutshell, say, condense the conversation to, you buy a chicken cooked in Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda, whatever you buy it, um, and I said it's cooked for you, and I said it's 40, 35 to 40 days old in a multi-million pound, reared in a multi-million pound controlled environment and trucked to a processing plant and the um, the retailer probably wants a pound out of it and it's probably the same price as your pint of beer. All the effort that's got into that and they, it's only then that they stop and think about, they're only thinking, well, it's £3.95, it was £3.80 last week. There's no concept of the value of it, it's just compared to the price of what it, you know, is down the road or whatever. And, uh, you know, and uh, and the milk, um, you know, I, I wish milk needed selling instead of 90% of people just throwing it in a basket. And uh, people get in the in dairy farmers worried about market share slipping or about global, or global consumption dropping. I think the industry are better off. It would be better off if it dropped by 50% because then we would have to market milk there'd be some innovation if you if you looked at the um, the, the nutrients in milk and compared it to any of the fizzy drinks or, or bottled waters that do get marketed we've got to change the culture and I can understand why the culture can't get changed because if you were running Tesco, Sainsbury's or Asda every time you drop the price of milk a couple of pence it increases your footfall so I don't know a single farmer that would do things differently so then they sell it at a loss which they do accept but they want to then minimize that loss so they they give the processor a life-saving amount of money and then they give the farmer a life-saving amount of money and and send in a consultant twice a year to make the farmer more efficient and drive down his cost of production but at the same time, they're on a cost of production contract. So they, it's self-financing because if they can drop the production by cost by half a penny a litre by making the farmer more efficient, they drops their raw material price by half a pence a litre. You know, and, um, and similarly, HDB at the moment uh, using uh, farmers' levy money to make the farmer more efficient. I don't understand why no one in the industry, uh, farmer-wise, everybody's on a cost of production contract, whether you are or not officially, because the best contracts in the business, in the industry, are cost of production contracts, and everybody else is below them. So, so if the levy, if they use your levy money to drop your milk price to uh, your to cost of production by a penny a litre, it just drops your income by a penny a litre, mm. which is bad enough when the retailer's doing it. But when you're doing it with your own money, you're loading the gun and firing it at yourself a little bit. That's not criticism of any individual body, but I just think maybe we don't stop and um, and think outside the box a little bit sometimes. Do you think as well, I mean, here you've got a business, and like you would say, <clears throat> you've got to actively market. Um, very, very clearly, uh, image is king in this in this business. You're on Instagram. You've got nineteen thousand followers on there. It's very slick. It, it, it presents a, a, a fantastic, um, uh, you know, image of of this business and and of this as a as a tourism business. But do you think in agriculture we're a bit, as you say, we're we're just a bit used to provi- providing a commodity that people naturally want, and therefore we've just kind of stymied any ingenuity and innovation within the industry. Yeah, I mean, you know, this you're quite right. This industry is a review-driven industry, and whilst we're 
doing very very well at the moment um we can't take it for granted if we had a bad review it could dent our our image and our, our income quite severely <clears throat> the difference i remind farmers of what i used to do every liter of milk i produced got collected and paid for not maybe at a high enough price but there was always money coming in this is different now but it's no different than everyone else in society if you're if you're selling something or making something and you're not up to scratch don't be surprised if the job's not there next month for you so as farmers we're kind of um, a little bit um, uh, in our own little bubble a little bit um, that you know you just plow on head down um, well you know milk price isn't good enough but you know if you send 4,000 litres today provided there's nothing wrong with contamination wise you'll get paid for your 4,000 litres you don't have to sort of think too much about the end game and um, and, and I kind of I use I think to myself the potato industry uh, potatoes a commodity just like milk so when people sort of block their mindset oh well it's milk you know how can we innovate um, the potato industry with crisps I can remember when there were three flavours of crisps. Now, it takes me longer to buy a bag of crisps than fill my car with fuel <laughs> because of the innovation in the potato industry. Yeah. And that and that will all come with a lot, lot higher price per kilo or per gram. Um, you know, and I, I do think for the first time in, in recent 20 or 30 years, I'll do seem to be getting some rewards out of the industry from the innovation that has, that they they've ploughed into it, so you know that that to me is a a good example of someone doing something successfully with milk. But we need a lot more people to do a lot more things with milk, really. And um, and and it's how it how you turn it round. I don't know. So one of the things Farmers Guardian does is it runs the British Farming Awards, and um, you've actually been shortlisted, haven't you, this year for. Um, diversification innovation of the year small to medium um, unfortunately we're not going to be able to share a beer in Birmingham this year Andrew because I know that you would want to be one of the last though um, <laughs> but I, how important um, first of all is that kind of nomination for a business like this but also how important do you think it is that the industry does celebrate success because one of the things that the BFAs does is it shines a light on the excellence and the innovation within the industry. You would do that in any other sector. When I was worked oh. in a, as a normal business reporter, that's how people got their brand out there. We're not always good at doing that in agriculture. So how important do you think that is? Well, if you ask me again in another 12 months, um, I mean, you know, we, we've made the short list, but um, uh, there's another few hurdles to cross yet, I guess. But, um, uh, yeah, my opinion, whilst I haven't experienced any of it yet, is that it, it can only be beneficial. And recognising other people that are doing something well in the industry, um, you know, I think is is good for the person, good for the industry. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I I think peer, rec peer recognition in this industry is, uh, is something that's quite valued, actually. Um, yeah, I I think it's um, you know we're the only industry that go away for a few days on a social and talk about what we do, 
from the minute we get up till the minute we go to bed and and that is quite unique really um so yeah you, you wouldn't find people who work in the car industry talking about what they do and sharing ideas between BMW and uh, you know and Audi or whatever um so we are quite unique in that respect just as we as we draw to the end of this i mean you've obviously had a huge life changing decision to make but you've you've gone on a different journey in terms of your business uh, and in terms of your outlook, if, if you were trying to encourage people to, to start a diversification or they were looking at it, what, what would be the top tips? What are the things that they need to know if they want to start a, a diversification business and change their farming ethos? First of all, uh, do some research, um, you know, and, 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 and identify your market and, and a brand and, and stick to it and trust yourself systems in agriculture just like in tourism probably uh it's about the people and it's about the attention to detail and i you know like you ben and i've been on enough different dairy farming enterprises and when people ask me would they be better grazing cows and crossbred low yielding um, cows or high input high output cows there's no there's no silver bullet it's about the people running the system uh, and, and and I don't care what you do, it's attention to detail that makes the difference between the average and the cream of any industry. So, um, yeah, the the attention to detail is 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 just the same in this as it is in the glamping as it is in the, and and you know and the comments that we get generally in the um, in the guest books are about the little cutie fluffy, the embroidered robes and the slippers and the. And the quality of the bedding on the bed, and the you know, it's the small little decor things we put and and putting the the name on the board when they come in. It's the little things that make the difference, yeah. and that's the attention to detail. Um, so, it, yes, it, you know, I think the, there's greater opportunities. Perhaps you know what I'm trying to say is there's more scope for for um, expanding into diversification, perhaps than setting up a dairy you know if you were thinking do i put 200 cows on or at the moment or do i put up some pods you know the a the pods would be cheaper and the return would be a lot quicker finding a milk contract would obviously be tricky at the moment uh you know and so um but there's still a huge amount of people that think um you know you're wasting agricultural land by doing something like this uh and the other comment i get from dairy farmers we have three tents on an eight acre field we're only using less than an acre up how many more are you going to put up on this field jonesy and i say well i'm busy enough with we're on two day people stay two days two nights on average um and that's the market we seem to have uh, generated for ourselves i'm guessing because we don't have a, a seaside down the road you know people just come on the short romantic break or the short break with their family go to chester or go to uh, uh, something of interest in north wales so because we're on two night um, stays it's hugely labor intensive turning the tent round every two days um, and so the thought of putting up another four or five when i'm sat in front of the ipad at six o'clock in the morning looking at bookings and income is very very encouraging 2.30 in the afternoon when you've been running around trying to get the tents all ready for 3 o'clock check-in, I have a different opinion. 
and and, and I, to be honest, my ability to do manual work is going to get less, not greater. So I think I say to farmers, if this pays for my, you know, helps pay for my lifestyle mortgage and things like that, then I don't see the need to go and put another three or four up. But when you've been dairy farming as long as I have, I understand why farmers are all the time, we need another 100 cows, we need another 100 cows, just to kind of hold your own in the industry as the margins diminish. So once you get outside the industry, you need to think about, you know, think differently, shall we say. And now you're on the outside looking in, as it were. You were in dairy and for, for most of your career, you're you know, heavily involved with showing and everything. Now you, you look at the industry um, from this vantage point. What do you see the future of the dairy industry being maybe over the next 10 years or the next generation? I don't actually know what um, uh, I see a lot of really really good operators um, producing a lot of milk and I see people um, you know that are really uh, uh, on lower output with uh, really keen on their costs so the industry has a future but it's going to I think it's going to be vastly different than what we know it as and the, the thing that we mustn't let happen is um, you know, there's going to be a lot of um, different global trade deals done in the next three or four years. And um, because we don't communicate very well with our public, our public seem to think that we don't do things very ethically. And then 50% of milk is processed into some sort of powder, cheese, butter, whatever. Then it goes anywhere around the world. So... We can export our industry if we're not very careful or, or, or if the, the consumer puts too much pressure on and exports the industry for us, then the big fear is we'll be buying stuff back from the rest of the world where the consumer has no control over you know, how it's produced. For instance, you know, the, the super dairy thing, it's died a death now. But Ten years ago in the UK, super dairy to the non-farming public was a huge stigma. Well, nearly every farmer in America is a super dairy. And I don't know quite what products come in from the US, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, is that, yeah. uh, And similarly with um, GMs, they don't want anything grown that uh, genetically modified in this country. I don't know a s single soya bean that comes in from North or South America or any maize that isn't genetically modified. Now, it's only Roundup, um, uh, you know, um, thingy, immune, but... Um, so, again, it comes back to communication. Huge thanks to Andrew for his time. Glamping really doesn't do justice to what is an incredible setup at Rackery Retreat. And all credit to him for sharing what is an amazing journey and his outlook on life. Well, that's it for the latest episode. Remember, you can pick up the podcast from your favourite provider and there'll be a new episode of Have I Got Moves For You available soon. But from me, Ben Briggs at Farmers Guardian, as well as the team at CMEX, thank you for listening. <laughs>